0: Hi. We hope you've been enjoying the show. It's been a pleasure bringing you these conversations about books we love. Digging into the science of sound, the history of water, hotel heists, and secret space stations. Sometimes we get asked what the best way is to support new shows like this one. It's really easy and would mean so much to us. Just take a minute and go to npr.org donate to give to your local NPR station. And thanks. Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbaugh. You ever run into a writer who can take an everyday thing, something normal or you know boring even, and describe it in a way that makes you stop for a second and just sit there with it? Claire Lucchetti does that a couple of times in today's interview. Their debut novel, Agatha of Little Neon, is about Catholicism and faith. And there's a part in this interview when NPR Scott Simon asks about the more harmful aspects of the church. When the interview was recorded, former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick had just been charged with sexually assaulting a teenager in the 70s. And Lucetti says something that stopped me. I don't know, maybe I'm just in a mood or something. But they said this book isn't about falling out of faith. It's about falling out of love.
1: is Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Claire Lucetti's Agatha of Little Neon is about four Catholic sisters in an order, all coming up on 30, who are reassigned to run a halfway house in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, that's painted the color of Mountain Dew and called Little Neon. They're there to try to help people get sober and get a firmer grip on life. And there, Agatha finds herself looking at her own... Self and Soul in the World. It is a wry, insightful, and remarkable debut novel from Claire Lucetti, whose work has appeared in Plowshares, Granta, and the Kenyon Review. They join us from a road trip out west. Thanks so much for being with us.
2: My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Early in the book, Agatha says, I was marked by grief. What did she find in the church and the fellowship of religious sisters?
2: I think Agatha finds a place to hide herself for a while. Sitting in a pew, Agatha can know what to do with herself for an hour. Um, She can recite prayers. She can follow directions, follow rules. Mm. And I think that's what Agatha needs at this time in her life when she's lost her mother and desperately in need of something um, to anchor her.
1: Yeah. So many incisive phrases in a book uh, with such great heart. I made a note of this one. Woonsocket, a tuckered out town in northern Rhode Island, split down the middle by a river of waste. Suddenly, the people at the center of her life aren't other sisters, but the residents of Little Neon. They, they give Agatha a, a different center in life?
2: Absolutely. When we meet the sisters, they've just spent years running a daycare that's dried up, there's no more money for it. And I wanted to send them somewhere where their skill set of caring for a baby or a newborn wouldn't translate, somewhere they would be out of their element. Mm -hmm. Um, So I wanted to test the sisters and see if their faith would enable them to help the marginalized or if it would inhibit them.
1: There's a man in Little Neon, Tim Gary, Uh, becomes one of my favorite characters. He has, I don't want to phrase this incorrectly, he's missing a jaw. Correct. And he helps Agatha learn how to skate. What does that mean to her? (laughs)
2: Um, For Agatha, learning to roller skate is the first thing that she keeps to herself. Um, It's the first thing that she doesn't share with her sisters Mm -hmm. in Rhode Island. Um, And it's a little bit of pleasure and it's a little bit of fear And a little bit of a risk. Um, But ultimately, the ability to have some fun for herself and, you know, have a little bit of a secret from her sisters is the first of a long string of things that she keeps for herself.
1: Yeah. I didn't hire a private detective, but I went online to try and discover more about you. I know from Chicago, we talked about that before the interview began. Uh, You've had lots of distinguished fellowships. That's about it. Can I know more? (laughs) Were you, you, for example, educated by nuns?
2: I was educated by a single nun. It was only when I was a senior in high school that I first met a religious sister. Um, I was raised Catholic, and I was very good at being Catholic. I was very good at reciting prayers and following rules, And my Catholic experience was wonderful. I have a lot to be grateful for. It's where I met my first nun, um, the woman religious who taught me macroeconomics. She was this incredibly tough Dominican nun who Mm -hmm. had all types of um, aphorisms that she would spit out uh, seemingly at random, like there's no such thing as a free lunch. Um, (laughs) And the fact that A woman who had taken a vow of poverty was teaching me about free markets and trickle-down economics is just a delightful bit of irony that I'll never quite get over.
1: I I want to get you to read a section from the book because you have some stunning vignettes of everyday life that most of us let escape without notice. Let me get you to read one. The nuns are taking a road trip to their former residence in Buffalo, and they stop uh, to picnic along the turnpike at a rest stop.
2: At a picnic table across the parking lot sat a group of boys in scouting vests. They were slumped over their lunches, and they made no noise. A fat one stood and walked to the toilets. When he was gone, the others broke into whispers and jeers. Uneasy, we watched them snicker to each other, and knew without hearing that they were mocking him when they had the chance. When the fat one came back to the table, the boys returned to their boxes of juice, a great play of innocence. Then we watched the boys fill a yellow bus and go, the jump and rattle of the engine as it hurtled on and disappeared behind the trees. We shook our heads and wiped our hands and fastened our seatbelts. How horrible, how merciful, the ways we are, each of us, oblivious to so much of the hurt in the world.
1: Oh my gosh that's devastating. We see that every day and and yet I I couldn't help but think well That's what makes Agatha and her fellow sisters special in this world.
2: Right, absolutely.
1: To be sure this is a very uh the, this novel is very open-eyed about the dark aspects of the church and and crises. Um, of course, we we're speaking in a week when uh, Cardinal McCarrick has been charged with sexual assault of a, of a 16-year-old in 1974. This makes them angry, doesn't it?
2: Absolutely. And this sense of anger and betrayal um, came from the women religious that I spoke to um, when I was researching for the book. Some were shocked, others not so much. Um, But no matter how many degrees removed they were from any one headline, the sisters were all impacted. Their day-to-day lives changed as a result. So I wanted to imbue the story with some of that anger um, and that sense of betrayal. And also convey that inextricable from these men's horrible crimes is their power Mm -hmm. and their belief that they are beyond reproach.
1: It shakes their faith in the church. Does it shake their faith?
2: My goal in writing this book was not to write a loss of faith story, but almost a falling out of love story. Over the course of the book, Agatha learns so much about the way that the church works and Mm -hmm. how their strict adherence to doctrine makes it difficult um, to really do the work that the church is supposed to be about, serving the poor and showing up for the marginalized. and saying that you have love for all creatures and actually showing love for all creatures are totally different things. Um, I wanted the sisters to have to learn that having compassion and understanding someone else's experience and pain um, and centering the other person's needs mm-hmm. is really hard work.
1: Claire Lucetti, their debut novel, Agatha of Little Neon. Thank you so much for
0: being with us.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening, and remember, visit donate.npr.org to support your local NPR station today. This message comes from NPR sponsor Shopify, the global commerce platform that helps you sell and show up exactly the way you want to. Customize your online store to your
2: style. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. It's called protein degradation, and if you're a bad protein in a cancer cell, you'd better get your affairs in order. Because now, thanks to Dana-Farber's foundational work, protein degradation can target cancer-causing proteins and destroy them right inside the cell. This approach is making a difference in multiple myeloma and other blood cancers, and is how Dana-Farber is working to treat previously untreatable cancers. More at
0: DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Humans are kind of overrated.